Word Matters is my new series. In it, I chat with people that I admire. I ask them to identify one word that matters most to them. It's a simple ask, but not an easy answer, as on average, we know 40,000 words. I then ask my guests why. How's that word influenced them, inspired them, helped them make choices, and a focus on where they're going next? Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters, a platform populated by podcasts, video, and posts, and presented by RBC. In here, we cut through the chaos and confusion to focus on what matters most to you, and to then uncover the life lessons that can help all of us get to where we need and deserve to go. My next guest is Rocco Rossi. Now, I met Rocco 20 years ago. He was working for Labatt Breweries. This was the early days of the internet, the gold CD that showed up in a magazine, the dial-up. It was uh, the wild, wild west, but Rocco was hired to ride this way, and that he did. And then he found other ways to conquer, and not just for-profit, and has spent most of his career not-for-profit, helping others get to where they need to go. Today, he's the president and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. Rocco, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Such an incredible pleasure, uh, Tony, particularly walking in the footsteps of your earlier interviews with two heroes and friends of mine, John Love and Anthony Longo. So as I explained in my introductions, I begin each of these episodes by asking my guest, what word matters to you and why? So what's your word? It's got to be dream because I am the product of the dreams of two incredibly courageous uh, young immigrants from uh, Italy uh, who came with a dream to build a better life for themselves and their family. And I live in a country that's the product of the dreams of millions. This is a country whose physical beauty must be seen to be believed, but whose political and social beauty must be dreamed and believed to be seen. When we were chatting before we did this interview, you talked about a Socrates quote that really sort of elevated the whole concept of dreaming for you. What was that? Well, look, Socrates was famous for saying that the unexamined life is not worth living. Uh, And I'm a huge believer that the unexamined dream is not worth dreaming. And in that examination throughout your life is how you transform, how you evolve, how you get stronger and better. So Rocco, when you talk about your parents and their sacrifice and their dream was to have uh, come to a new country, like all the, 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 the courage and conviction it takes to leave everything you know, but you do so because you want your next generation to have a better life. Tell me what it was like to be brought up in that hustle. What, what was it like to be part of those early days and what were the kind of dreams your parents had for you? It was full of, uh, of love and family. I, I don't remember a time when we didn't have multiple families and multiple generations living in the same home. We had a backyard garden uh, with vegetables, uh, with rabbits, chickens, pigeons uh, that we stretched our budgets with. I remember going with my mom and my aunts to nearby parks and harvesting dandelion greens for our salads. And uh, to pickle over the over the winter and of course you know they wanted their firstborn son to to be a doctor a lawyer something that 
um, that they understood as a, as a visible mark of having made it. Um, and um, you know, I'm only sorry that uh, I, I wasn't able to achieve those things for them, but, um, but I, I hope and pray and, and know because they share it with me that they're, they're proud of what I have done. You blazed your own trail. It must have been hard back then to look at your parents in their eye who'd done so much and given so much, who sacrificed so much, thinking that, that maybe their legacy was to have the doctor or lawyer and telling them that you weren't going to pursue that path. How hard was that? Take us back to those days. So incredibly uh, hard. I was, I was at Princeton uh, working on a doctorate in political philosophy and international relations, um, something that my parents were very confused about. Uh, and my mom got very ill uh, as I began writing my dissertation. And uh, uh, we were afraid she was going to die. Um, so I called up Osgood Hall and I said, uh, look at, uh, and this is August, uh, I said, look, at, I'm, I'm going to be showing up in class in September uh, at law school. And they said, well, that's great, but, you know, you got to go through LSATs and an application process. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. My, my mom wants me to be a lawyer. She's dying. I'm coming. So you either have a desk for me or you have a security guard to stop me, but I'm coming to class. And thankfully, the president of Princeton called and and they worked it out and they let me uh, they let me enter, for which I'm eternally grateful. Uh, my mom was getting better through the first term and I hated law school because after the freedom of, uh, of grad school, it was so constrained and, and limited in my way of thinking at the time. And so leading up to uh, the first term exams, I, I told my mom that I would write the exams and if I, didn't do well, I would stay and complete the degree. If I did well, uh, I would leave because I wanted her to know that I wasn't in law school, not because I couldn't do it, but because I didn't want to do it. It wasn't making me happy. And she said, fine. And so I wrote the exams. I did quite well and, and I left the following week. Um, uh, and, um, and other things followed and thank God she and my dad are still with us. And um, and they've been hugely supportive of everything I've done. Although I have to say, the moment that their son's name showed up on the masthead of the Toronto Star in the days when I became a senior executive um, there was something they totally understood and uh, made them very proud, was something they could show uh, their, our other relatives and neighbours that, you know, look, my, my, my son's done good. I think maybe showing my son's done good, but the, the dream we had, uh, he's living. So uh, that's wonderful. And then you go to work for Labatt. I'm not sure if it was right after, but as I said earlier, it was the early days of the internet. I mean, these guys are processed. They were a beer company. Uh, and you're taking them into a whole different world. What's it like trying to bring a big corporation with certain ideals and have them open the mind that there's a whole different universe out there that plays by different roles? Well, I was so fortunate because the man who recruited me, my, my mentor friend and, and, and boss, Don Kitchen, um, was someone who wanted to paint outside uh, the lines and outside the numbers. And so he gave me uh, the freedom 
to pursue uh, this. And so long as I was generating uh, results, he was delighted to uh, to put money behind it. And those were the halcyon days where uh, you could actually build a global campaign out of Canada because um, the beer industry and, and, and Labatt had the funds and had the vision and the dream uh, to be global conquerors. So something happened to this friend of yours, this mentor, you're on an international trip, Don Kitchen's fast tracking, quite possibly heading towards the CEO job globally. You're in Belgium and your life turns upside down. Yeah, um, Interbrew understood that it, in order to be a, a globe winner, uh, it needed to go public. It was heretofore a private company and uh, we had set some things in motion to allow us to go public. Uh, Don and I were in Belgium presenting to the board. Big celebration as only beer executives can celebrate. And he and I were to have breakfast the next day um, and, and tragically died in his sleep of a massive coronary. And uh, it put me into, um, into a spiritual crisis um, that took me some time to pull myself out of. I, I left uh, a few months later, put succession in place and spent time with my family and uh, and uh, then you know was fortunate to um, to experience something very, very special on an old a medieval pilgrimage route in in Spain called the Camino de Santiago, and that uh, allowed me to re-examine my dream. Tell us a little bit about it because you're a young guy and you're going on this very long walk. And it's a walk from what I understand, as much as the surroundings are beautiful, it's really a walk inside in terms of who you are. What, what brought you there and what did you learn the first time you've done this trail? I, um, I tried to bury myself in, uh, in, in work after uh, Don's uh, death got involved in a restructuring and a turnaround of a software company called MGI um, and was successful. Um, in turning around, selling it to a publicly listed uh, company on NASDAQ. And I'm coming home from um, the uh, celebration dinner, the closing dinner, checking my jeans, offers to do more. I'm on the subway. And um, the sadness at the loss of uh, my mentor and friend just overwhelmed me. And I just started crying like a baby people uh, cleared out of the subway car thinking uh, they were dealing with something bizarre. Uh, and there by the side of my seat was um, the Toronto Star, um, open to a page uh, journalist who'd just come back from the Camino de Santiago. He'd gone through uh, some difficulties. I called him up the next day, took him out to lunch. And a week later, I was on a plane to Pamplona, walked a thousand kilometers to uh, to the Atlantic, and as you say, uh, time for an inner pilgrimage, an inner voyage. I read a uh, excerpt from an incredible speech you gave to the Empire Club. He talked about how important that walk was, but as you got off and you said burned your clothes, which is part of the ritual, you refused to burn your walking stick. You wanted something that symbolism of what you did. But that walking stick was a reminder that as much as you found yourself on that trail, it's a struggle we have every day, isn't it? 
Yeah, because look, we're we're attached to things, and and many things uh, help to make our life better and help us get to our destination. But sometimes the things that you hang on to end up owning you. And uh, after Finisterre, where where I burned a set of clothes, and and where some of my Camino friends were suggesting I burn the stick. I couldn't bring myself to doing it because I bought it very early on on my walk and I wanted to bring it back to my dad. And part of this uh, was uh, therapy for me and him that uh, I was going to be able to talk about the Camino and he loves carving in wood and I was going to give him the stick. So I'm, I'm walking down the coast uh, from Finisterre and I'm five kilometers away from a little town where I'm going to spend a couple of days. It's a little beach resort. Uh, drink some beer, rest my feet, think about what I'd done. And there by the side of the road is a young boy, and he's wailing away at the side of the road with a garden hoe. Whack, whack. Um, and I say, buenos dias, que tal, how are you doing? Looks me up and down, drops the garden hoe and grabs my stick. And uh, my initial reaction is, you know, pull it back. It's my stick. It's going to my dad. And he's a small guy and I'm a rather big guy. And so I literally lift him off the ground and I start shaking him because I want the want the stick. And I'm so far gone that I start prying his fingers and he doesn't do anything but grunt. And I look at his face and it's distended and, and clearly he has other challenges. He never verbalizes beyond the grunt. So not only am I harming a, a child, but I'm harming a child with with an intellectual disability. And, and so it hits me like, what are you doing? Are you so far gone? Are you so attached to this material thing that you would harm a young child to keep it? And um, so I stopped, I put my hands around him. I said, regalo para ti, present for you. And he looked down at the stick and up at me and down at the stick and up at me thinking some kind of crazy trick after we've been fighting over it. And I tap him on the shoulders, regalo para ti, lo siento, lo siento mucho, I'm sorry, I'm so very sorry. And I take a step back and he looks and he watches my feet go back and he lifts his face up. And next to the birth of my son, the single most beautiful moment in my life was watching this smile fill his face from ear to ear. And that was the lesson that the Camino wanted to give me over that month is that ability to... To, to give up things and that in giving, we create joy and in turn bring great joy and healing to ourselves. I want to take a second to give a shout out to RBC. RBC, your words matter to me. Since the very beginning, you sponsored my podcast, my posts, my videos. And together, we've looked for insights, ideas, and inspiration to help everyday Canadians and small business owners get to where they need and deserve to go and not once have you asked for anything in return and it's not just me look at future launch a 500 million dollar investment to help youth find and pursue their path in life rbc your words matter to me and to a lot of canadians well speaking of giving when you return and i'm just going to sort of fast track a bit of your career but as i kept following as everybody that knows rocco keeps following you went from for-profit where you could have written just about any deal because of your reputation and decided to devote a lot of your time to not-for-profit, the Heart and Stroke Foundation, Prostate Cancer. 
What did you learn about yourself there? You weren't chasing material wealth. It must have been something more to do with emotional wealth. Enormous uh, joy and satisfaction. Um, you know, I was helpless uh, when Don died. Uh, there was nothing I could do to save him and, and the pain that that caused his his wife and his two sons who were in school with my son at the time, the, the first event at their home that they renovated here in Toronto was the wake. Um, and yet at Heart and Stroke in helping others deal with cardiac arrest and, 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 and heart disease, I got tremendous validation. I couldn't help Don, but I could help others. And it, it came full circle. I, I, I'd helped start a campaign at Heart and Stroke to put defibrillators into public spaces across the province. And just before Christmas of the year that we started that, I get a call from a woman and, and she says, Mr. Rossi, my name is, is Claire. You don't know me. I'm from Hamilton. Uh, but I just want you to know that a few days ago, my, my dad was going to an event at Cops Coliseum in, in Hamilton, and he collapsed on the steps from cardiac arrest. And the, the paramedics told us that if there hadn't been a defibrillator on the wall and trained uh, people in CPR, that he would have died before they got there. But I want you to know that um, we're celebrating Christmas with him instead of going to his funeral. And we just want to thank you because at the Cops Coliseum, they told us that Heart and Stroke had put the defibrillator there. And Heart and Stroke told me that, you know, you were the one who 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 drove that campaign. And uh, just want you to know that my dad's name is Don. Wow. And, uh, and, and, and Tony, more than any deal, more than any option, uh, more than any contract, the satisfaction of that, the joy of that, and, and, and every year since, more and more people have been saved with that has, has meant the world to me. So, Rocco, one of the other things I find when I study religion that very often to immerse yourself deeply, you take you sacrifice, I mean, a vow of silence, a horsehair blanket, uh, people flog. And in your case, in some ways with your nonprofit, You've, you've set out on these massive quests uh, as a way to bring attention to the, to the cause that you're leading. But also in some ways, it's you as an individual sort of making a statement to yourself or to your parents. Give me a sense of why you connected to the, the pilgrimage, the, the canoe trips, the, all the different adventures you've been on. Uh, there's a wonderful verse in Psalm 46, which goes, be still and know that I am God. And um, as someone who studied philosophy in, in university, uh, Nietzsche famously said, of course, that God is dead. And I, I don't believe that, but I do believe that stillness is under tremendous attack in the world. And we're just so busy and so many meetings, so many devices. And um, achieving that stillness gives me tremendous um, energy. I, I'm a huge believer, you know, that message you get on a flight, you know, if the pat, if the cabin decompresses, masks will fall from the ceiling. Make sure you put the mask on yourself before you try to help anyone else. And that stillness and those adventures 
for me has been oxygen for my soul and has helped me every bit, even more so than anyone that I've helped around me. And I think and I hope um, and I know that uh, it's caused my parents no small amount of pride and, and that gives me great satisfaction as well. So speaking of dreaming, and I can imagine also through the eyes of immigrant parents who probably came here somewhat feeling like an imposter. Most people would when they enter a new country. Another wave comes along and you choose to run for the mayor of Toronto. What was the motivation behind that? Look, this city, this country has been so incredibly um, good to my family. Um, and my family has always taught me that we owe an enormous debt. And um, I sought to, uh, to serve. Um, I was encouraged by, um, by friends, in particular, the memory of a, another dear friend and mentor of mine, David Pico, who I'd worked with at BCG and who believed strongly in, in, in social duty. Um, and uh, it was a remarkable year of campaigning and visiting every single corner of the city and getting to meet incredible people doing incredible uh, things. And I had an amazing team and unfortunately they didn't have a very good candidate. So, uh, uh, so I lost. What would the city be like today if you had become mayor and brought some of that extraordinary heart and passion to bear? What would you say would be the defining statement of Rocco Rossi, mayor of Toronto? Look, at, I'm, I'm a huge believer that the electorate is always right. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'd like to think I could have brought about world peace and a chicken in every pot, but the reality is uh, we are where we are and we're still in a remarkable uh, city. I think mine might have been with a little less drama, um, but, um, but look, at, there are many ways to serve and I, I'm delighted at the, the path that's opened up for me. So in a speech you delivered to the Empire Club that I referenced earlier, you said right in the middle of the word life is the word if. Tell us how you connected the two. Well, and this is something from my late mother-in-law, uh, Faith Wood Breen, and um, she was the one who pointed that out to me and said, look, at um, if is right in the middle of life. And that's appropriate because if is the word of hopes and dreams. Again, back to that word that matters, dreams. And it's the motive force in your life. If I do this, this will follow. If I work hard, I can achieve this. If I help others, the world is a better place. So you need to spend your life asking and answering your if questions, because unfortunately, if you leave if to the end of life, it ceases to be the word of hope and dreams and becomes the word of nightmare and regret. If only I had dot, dot, dot. So the blessing she always gave to me was, and I, that I'd share with all of your listeners, is ask and answer your if questions in life so that you have no if questions left at the end of life and you will be truly blessed. So Rocco, Today, you spend your time as the president and CEO of Ontario Chamber of Commerce. And I know that that touches 
uh, our economy in almost every corner. I happen to be a real advocate for small business, which is a big part of our economy, and this wrecking ball that's hit it. And I wouldn't even just say it beginning with the pandemic, but just technology and the massive capital investments that big business can make. And the little guy's slingshot is getting, uh, the pebble's getting smaller and smaller. So if it, we both view small business as the heart of our economy, you're the head of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. What do we need to do to keep this heart beating strong? Small business isn't just the heart of our economy. It's it's the heart of our dreams. It's our main streets. It's our culture. It's the people who support our local charities. It's why uh, it brings such joy for me um, to try to help in any way and such pain to see them uh, in the straits that they're in. But look at you. You've been a great champion in this. Buy local. Click local. It's easy to go to Amazon, but you don't have to. That one extra click to support a local business can make all the difference because small businesses never needed our business more than they need it today. It can't just be about government, although that's important as well. And those supports need to be there. But that buy local and, you know, I know you, like me, a big fan of RBC and what they've done and our campaign around Canada United was all about this common purpose of celebrating local. And if we do more of that, make the cash register ring locally, uh, we will save those dreams. So Rocco, the, and I know a lot of people have talked to you about running provincially and federally. And I want to give you the, a magic wand that's shaped like the walking stick you gave away years ago and say, you're now the prime minister of Canada. What do we need to do to build our way forward so that we can uh, continue to invite people like your parents to come in and build their dreams, that we can have purpose and education, and a strong social net? What would Rocco Rossi do with that want? One, you know, we're a, we're a, we're a beautiful country and a big physical country but small as an economy. We can't afford to be smaller by having these interprovincial barriers. So number one, I hope once and for all coming out of this, we all get a grip and understand that we're in this together and so we need to behave in that way and make ourselves as big as possible. Two, skilling and reskilling. Another thing that I admire in RBC is that, that commitment to future launch to work integrated learning for all of our, our young people, but not just for our young people, the jurisdiction that figures out skilling and reskilling throughout life, curiosity and learning throughout life is the one that's gonna win. And then finally, immigration. It's been key to our growth and it will be key going forward because think about it. People often say, some people say, well, immigrants that come, they'll take our jobs and or they're, they're coming for our benefits. The reality is when my parents left Southern Italy, there were millions of others who were also suffering from economic hardship, but they didn't come because they lacked the courage of that wave of immigrants. And so in some respects, we've been fortunate to get the best of the best from everywhere in the world. And I want a country filled with people with a hunger and with dreams to build an amazing life for themselves and their kids because 
when you've got that kind of motor in your car, you're going to beat the hell out of anybody else uh, in the world to building the kind of society that we all want. And I'm confident that Canada's best days are ahead of us. Talking to Rocco Rossi, and I met him 20 years ago, and I think I could hear his heart beating as he walked into that boardroom that day because he had passion and conviction and eyes that were shining and energy and all of those things I just find incredibly contagious. And I've followed him my entire career, and he has ridden wave after wave and not for materialistic gain, not, not to have his name put on a wall here or there, but just really to contribute. Rocco, I normally end my podcast with three things I learned, but one thing that stood out, I would say above almost anything I've heard over the last year doing videos and podcasts, and that's when your mother-in-law said and talked about if at the center of life and asked that question today, because if you wait to the end of your life, it becomes toxic and, and everything you regret versus what it can be today, which is everything that's possible. Thank you so much for joining Chat of It Matters and uh, sharing your word dream on Word Matters. Great pleasure. Thanks so much, Tony. You've been listening to Chat of It Matters. Download Chat of It Matters wherever you get your podcast or follow me at chatofitmatters.ca or on Twitter at, at Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.